informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture again today from San Diego and the National Biodiesel Conference. I won't tell you about the weather here, although people in San Diego are all kind of freaked out because they're complaining the highs have only been in the 60s during the day. Well, i tell you what, I, I know most of you listening would take that in a heartbeat, and I'm not complaining out here. I'm enjoying it uh, before heading back uh, to the cold weather later today. But a uh, good conference going on here, the National Biodiesel Conference, and we have a lot of information for you today. Just want to mention, of course, uh, the news coming out yesterday that uh, despite the government shutdown, USDA is going to reopen FSA offices They'll be reopening tomorrow, and coming up on our program tomorrow, we will talk with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey and have all the details and information on that. So that's coming up on tomorrow's program. But here in San Diego, we are focusing on biodiesel, and joining us now is the Technical Director for the National Biodiesel Board, Scott Fenwick. Scott, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, a, a lot of the discussion here has been about partnerships and the need and the importance of, of partnerships for the biodiesel industry. It is. You know, we, we've had a focus. Our, our mantra this year is, is engage, not only with our members, but our, our industry partners, particularly those vehicle and engine manufacturers, those other trade associations in the industry. And so we've had a lot of great discussions as they, they help us push forward in the marketplace. We look back over the last several years and how this industry has uh, progressed. And it, it took those partnerships, had, had to work with the engine manufacturers, and, and there have been a lot of technical issues to, to work through. I know you're still addressing some of them, but you certainly have made a lot of progress. We have. I mean, we're, we're a fuel component, and we've had our challenges. We, we will continue to have our challenges, just like all fuels do. Uh, but we want to address those with those partners, with the industry, uh, to break down those technical barriers that limit us or would limit us to further biodiesel consumption, whether that be just higher volumes across the board or maybe even higher blend concentrations. Tell us about some of those challenges and how you've worked to overcome them. I know there have been issues about, you know, Early on, there were questions about uh, engine performance and durability, and there have been issues about cold weather performance and, and some of those things. How have you addressed those over the years? Yeah, it's systematically. Um, when we work with our partners in our, our industry uh, to determine exactly where the needs are. And so we hold a technical workshop once a year to gather the industry, and that includes refiners and pipeline companies and shippers and as well as academia and researchers and to see where we need to ad address issues and where we need to spend those research dollars and it's funny because fuels have changed over the last 10 or 15 years uh, diesel fuel has gone from high sulfur to low sulfur now to ultra low sulfur at the same time the marketplace has introduced renewable fuels such as biodiesel and renewable diesel but what most people don't understand is that engine technology is changing even faster and so we've seen huge improvements to engine technology clean diesel technology and we heard a lot of that yesterday at the conference on some of our panels and biodiesel can only help that uh, low particulates uh, reduced emissions in hydrocarbons and, and life cycle emissions improved lubricity uh, we're, we're seeing longer life out of these engines than ever before as well as improved performance. We see users, even in the coldest of months, continue to use B20. 
I remember early on trying to get uh, different fleets, say at an airport, let's say, or, or maybe even a school district with school buses, uh, to try to get them to, to go to, to using biodiesel. And those were the questions. Uh, what about durability? What about engine performance? And I remember hearing uh, biodiesel officials at the time say, you know, you will you will see this pay off over the long run. Well, now we can look back, and now you have results to, to share with people. It is, and, and that's the exciting part. Um, one of our biodiesel ambassadors here with us this week are some representatives from Florida Power and Light, and they've been a shining example. Um, as well as you know our partners even with the EPA working with them on some of our studies and, and they're considering uh, taking what they would consider the full useful life for most heavy-duty vehicles from 435,000 miles maybe even up to a million miles the engines and the vehicles are lasting that long and biodiesel only helps we're talking with Scott Fenwick technical director for the National Biodiesel Board Scott here we are in California a state whose uh, laws and regulations and referendums often cause uh, headaches for much of the rest of the country, it seems. But uh, things are happening here in California that are they're really very beneficial for the biodiesel industry. They are, you know, and, and you're right. Uh, California tends to lead the way. Um, we've had some challenges out here as well. California has their own formulation of diesel fuel, often referred to as carb diesel. And so we work very closely out here. It's a huge market for us uh, and a huge opportunity for the biodiesel and renewable fuels industry. So we work with those regulators, likewise, to ensure emissions performance. Um, like, like I said, we reduce particulate and soot, reduce hydrocarbons. Our one remaining challenge has been nitrogen oxide emissions, uh, which tends to lead to smog and formation. And so they are concerned about that. Uh, recently, just a couple years ago, we were working with another partner to develop a, a NOx mitigation additive. And so now biodiesel blends can be sold at full strength here in California, B20, and still reduce those NOx, or NOx emissions as well with this new additive. So you take it a step at a time, right? One step at a time, checking the boxes. Another issue has been even to get farmers to use uh, biodiesel. How are you doing uh, there as far as uh, working with farmers? Our, our farmer leaders are fantastic, uh, and they really are the lifeblood of, uh, of the biodiesel industry. Uh, but some of them are still reluctant. They, they tried biodiesel 14, 15 years ago in the initial stages of our industry and, and had problems. We acknowledge that. Uh, we've, we've come a long way since then, improved the fuel, a lot more quality assurance throughout the industry. But farmers have a long memory, and they remember those challenges and remember the problems that they had, and some of them still are reluctant to try again. So, so we partner with our farmer leaders, um, not only to improve the amount of feedstocks uh, that we're using, that soybean oil, all across the country, but to try and reach those other farmers out in the rural parts of the country that may not be as engaged in the leadership across the country to say, hey, it might be worth your while to give biodiesel another try. What do you think is the next big step for the industry? We keep hearing about people wanting to move above and beyond B20. Uh, there are groups uh, that want to go to B50, potentially even B100 for that life cycle analysis improvements. Um, the heating oil industry, they're, they're trying to compete with natural gas, cleaner burning fuels. 
you know, unfortunately, you just you can't dig up New York City to add new gas lines all over uh, the city. So we're going to move to higher and higher blends uh, and see what challenges those bring. All right, Scott, thank you. Uh, come a long ways and uh, excited to see what the future holds for biodiesel. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's Scott Fenwick. He's technical director for the National Biodiesel Board as we continue to do our broadcasts here from San Diego and the National Biodiesel Conference. We're going to talk much more about uh, this industry, how far it has come, and uh, uh, the future for this industry. A lot of uh, questions and issues still to be dealt with. We'll get into all those coming up. So stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Reason number 12 why you should own a thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture here in San Diego for the National Biodiesel Conference. Joining me now is Jeff Lynn. He's a member of the Illinois Soybean Association Board and the governing board for the National Biodiesel Board. Jeff, uh, good to talk with you. We were just talking with Scott Fenwick. Uh, about the challenge still of getting farmers to use biodiesel. You're obviously very passionate about using uh, biodiesel. Why? Well, it, you know, we, we grow it. You know, soybean oil is, is the major feedstock for uh, biodiesel. And so, and, and the revenue that comes from biodiesel to the soybeans is about 63 cents a bushel. That's a lot of money. And, uh, if, if we don't use it ourselves, how can we expect somebody else to use it? So I, I just take that viewpoint and, and I try to impress that on people, on, on farmers, you know, that if, if you're willing to take that 63 cents, you need to be using it. And uh, and so, you know, even with cold weather and, and uh, people talk about gelling issues and stuff, you know, I run B20 in, in my equipment and in my personal vehicles and we we don't have any gelling issues you know as long as you take care of your of your tanks and, and your fuel and treat it right it will treat you right there were some challenges early on and maybe some tried it had some problems and that kind of maybe soured them on it a little bit they should try it again that, that's right saying, absolutely right? you know there weren't standards then and now we have standards and and in order to be able to sell the bio in the market it has to meet you know the the standards and and so you know it it works and and what and I remember used to be a question about what blend level would be the best blend. Uh, what have you? What's your experience uh, shown you? Well, we 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 started out on B11 when biodiesel was first introduced, and uh, we you didn't have any problems then. And I went to New York City to a bioheat tour uh, about four or five years ago, and uh, the Port Authority runs B20 year round. And it gets cold in New York City. And the people I was with, I asked them, I said, you know, why can't I run B20 year-round? Well, you can. I said, well, won't I have jellying issues? And they said, absolutely not. Do you have jellying issues at B11? And I said, no. Well, you're not going to have jellying issues at B20 either. Just You just treat your fuel accordingly. And uh, and so that spring, I moved, I moved our, our farm and our personal vehicles up to B20 and been on B20 ever since. What are some of the other benefits that you've well, seen? Well, you know, it, 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 it's better for the, the injection system. You know, you get better lubricity. Um, it's better for the environment. You know, it's better for everybody's health. You know, it's cleaner burning and uh, lower sulfur. And, uh, and so it, it, it's better for everybody. Engine performance and durability? No, no problems whatsoever. You know, it's, it, it's warranted by all manu- most manufacturers. Um, and so you're not hurting anything. We're talking with Jeff Lynn from Illinois, a, a farmer who uses um, a biodiesel. He's on the Illinois Soybean Association board. He's on the governing board here for the National Biodiesel Board as well. So very involved uh, in the, the biodiesel industry. 
Jeff, we've seen a lot of growth in the industry in the last uh, several years, and and more and more uses and more and more uh, you know markets for biodiesel. You know, from school districts to school buses to port authorities to uh, as you said, bioheat in the Northeast. Uh, uh, it, it seems like each year we find more ways for, to use the product. That's that's right, and and you know, and we're continually looking for for more uses. Um, you know. I've heard people talk about, you know, there could be feedstock issues, not having enough feedstock, you know, because uh, there's going to be marine applications are, are coming, going to start coming into play here in the next few years, and and people are nervous about feedstock. I was talking with some industry personnel in the biodiesel industry a couple of days ago, and and they said the market will take care of it themselves. They're they're not concerned about feedstock issues coming into play, not having enough feedstock, and and so. You know, it, we'll work through it, and we'll and we'll get along and and uh, keep developing new markets for for bio and and uh, and it'll work out. When this started, there was a glut of soybean oil and a depressed market. Right, and uh, so we were looking for a, a new market that has certainly taken place. And here again, prices are not what we'd like them to be. If we didn't have biodiesel, look where the prices would be. Well, and that's that's what I'm saying. You know, 63 cents. You know, 63 cents is a lot for a bushel of soybeans. And uh, if if we didn't have that 63 cents, we'd be sub eight. Mm-hmm. And you know, even if beans are ten dollars, 63 cents is still a lot of money. And uh, and so, you know, we all just need to respect that and and understand how this industry has really helped farming. And okay. There's a lot of talk right now about, you know, again, it looks like this new Congress, especially in the House side, is going to really focus on the climate and the environment. Um, but seemingly, that would that would really benefit biodiesel, would really fit right absolutely, in Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, the petroleum industry thinks that we're here to displace them completely. We're not, we're not looking to dis- displace the petroleum. You know, we're here to help petroleum. Petroleum has to have a lubricity issue. With ultra-low sulfur diesel coming into play several years ago, they lost their lubricity with, with losing sulfur. And so the soy, the biodiesel, makes up for that. So it helps their product and, and makes their product last, last longer. You know, they have to understand that their product is a finite product. It's not going to be there forever. And with renewable biodiesel, it's there. You know, it's an ongoing battle, whether it's with biodiesel or ethanol, with the oil industry, which I always find, you know, I understand their concern about loss of market share, whatever. But the bottom line is renewable fuels aren't looking to replace no. petroleum products, as you said. I mean, they need to work together. I That's mean, right. Uh, biodiesel or ethanol, you're an additive to their fuel. That's right. And and just make it up better. And, uh, you know, we're, we're here to help. We're not here to, to take away. And so it's, we, we need to get along and, and play nice with each other. And, and uh, I think things are improving. Um, you know, you're always, you're always going to hit that wall, and you just have to bounce back and, and come at it at a different angle. Yeah. I, I've been fascinated to watch over the years the development of bioheat, uh, you know, using biodiesel to heat homes, especially in the northeastern part Correct. of the country. Do you see that as a growing market? It, it, it's, it's come back a little bit. Uh, natural gas has come in and and uh, displacing some of the bioheat and but we're we're holding our own and and we're gaining in some areas um, you know 
the 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 complexes the the businesses that use bioheat love it because uh, we we met with a councilman while we were in New York this year and uh, he has a son that has since his their neighborhood and offices and, and homes use bio bio heat and so it, it works very well for the environment what about uh, availability distribution how has Tell us about the the work being done there and the progress to make it more available around the country. Well, you know we're we're trying to be able to move uh, biodiesel uh, B100 through pipelines. Uh, we're gaining. It's <laughs> it's a slow process. You know, again, the petroleum industry is, is hitting us. You know, they don't they don't want that contamination in their in their pipeline and and uh, and so so mo- most of the stuff that moves. That, East is on rail, unless it comes in on the on the oceans. Uh, so, it it is a little bit more cost, but it's still cost effective. I was going to say price is always a <laughs> a challenge because uh, anyone's going to be using whatever fuel is going to be looking at that price, and that has um, been a little tough to overcome at times. Right, right. right that's right. Because, and this is where, you know, the tax credit, it would be very helpful to get that uh, on a permanent or, a, you know, a set basis. I know what you're trying for is for a seven-year period. Uh, and over the last several years, that tax credit has been on again, off again, which has made it hard for the industry not having that certainty. I, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, the, the ethanol industry is in its teenage years. And, and the biodiesel industry is in its infancy. You know, we're we're just we're, we're probably a toddler, and uh, we haven't had consistency through the RFS and 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 through the tax ex, uh, credits and and stuff. And we've we've had it on again, off again, as you said, and so, you know, if we could get some consistency, and that's why we're looking for the seven year. We have lots of biodiesel manufacturers, you know, producers and 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 other parts of the industry that want to invest money, but they don't want to invest money without that certainty of knowing where they're going to be at least five, seven years down the road. And your industry has shown repeatedly that it can produce and will produce. It. That's right. That's why you're winning even higher levels in the RFS. That's, that, that's right. right. Absolutely. And, you know, in Illinois, we're we're looking to, to try to move up to B30 because we, we know the product can be there and, and we know the product will work in the engines. And, and will help the environment even more. And so it, you're, you're, you're hitting some people, but we're, we'll get there. Jeff, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Jeff Lynn from Illinois, very involved, very passionate about the biodiesel industry, member of the Illinois Soybean Association Board and the governing board for the National Biodiesel Board. Coming up next, we'll talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehagen. That's next from here in San Diego at the National Biodiesel Conference. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us, always have been. Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. 
What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Here's a market update for Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by the American Ag Network. Grains are higher due to ranges and a lack of volatility persisting. However, traders are nervous after reports Tuesday that the Trump administration was canceling some lower-level trade talks later this week. Higher-level talks are still scheduled for next week, but the admission that the two sides remain a good deal apart is unsettling. Corn bouncing a bit on this Wednesday morning. Implied volatility is actually higher than the same time a week ago, but remains historically low for this time of year. Soybeans are a bit higher. Of course, there are those roller coaster trade negotiations, but an inspections report indicates there are six cargoes of soybeans destined for China. Wheat markets are higher. Wheat prices supported due to reports of the Ukrainian ag minister reiterating to exporters they are not to exceed 8 million metric tons of milling wheat exports for the marketing year, and they're already at 83%. Russian exports are also slowing. As we take a look at the prices, March corn's up 1.5 at 3.80.5. March soybeans up 8 at 9.17.25. Chicago wheat for March is up 3.25 at 5.24.5. At Kansas City, March wheat is up 4 at 5.13 and 3 quarters. While at Minneapolis, March wheat is up six at 578 even. Early morning trade in the livestock market is expecting some adjustments. Strong pressure in cattle trade Tuesday, expected to bring a mixed bag of follow through selling and short covering today. Meanwhile, hog futures are trying to hold on to recent support levels, which is helping to spark some additional commercial buyer activity. Feb live cattle down 37, March feeders down 20. And February lean hogs are down 62. For Adams on Agriculture, this is the American Ag Network. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back here in San Diego at the National Biodiesel Conference. Talking now with Donnell Rehagen. He's the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Good to see you. Really enjoyed your state of the uh, industry address yesterday. And, and you 
and you took time to, to look back at how far this industry has come. And I think that's important because we're always so focused on that next challenge that uh, I th- you and I have been talking. When you look back to when this started, the odds were against this industry ever growing to where it's at now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as I mentioned to the audience yesterday, we do. This industry does need to take time to look back on itself and, and be somewhat proud of the milestones it's reached because uh, as we were talking, I think there's probably more reasons why this industry shouldn't be here today than should just because of all the challenges. Think about introducing a brand new fuel brand new fuel into the marketplace and here you are now at three billion gallons three billion gallons and growing is what we like to say and here we are in california for our conference and it's uh demand central for our product and so it's uh, there's a great vibe the the conference has been going great and and uh we hope 19 is going to be a banner year for the biodiesel industry so we got some challenges though uh the tax credit didn't get it done last year. You're trying to get that seven-year window of, uh, of certainty for the industry. Let me ask you this. Uh, first of all, what do you think are the chances of getting it this year? And then the second part of that is if you could get seven years, do you think at the end of that seven years the industry would be ready to uh, st- go without it, wouldn't need it at that point? Yeah, so uh, chances, you know, I, I th- I'd like to think that the work, that, the groundwork that's been done uh, with both the House and the Senate last year, and I know, of course, there's a lot of new members in both, so uh, there will be a little bit of backstep there. But the progress that we've made to help them understand why a on-again, off-again tax credit just really doesn't work to, to make the growth happen that that tax credit was, was built around. Uh, so I think we've made that progress. Uh, we've got some strong leaders in both the House and Senate on the Republican and Democratic side. Uh, we've already been talking to them about reinforcing those conversations to make sure that's where it starts the, with the 116th Congress instead of going back to the one year on and off thing. Um, and as far as the length and the term, you know, there's there's got to be an end to everything. And this industry has never prided itself on relying on anybody else. Um, and so we, we recognize that, and we believe if we can have that certainty, it tells, it sends those signals and tells investors and, and other folks that now's the time and this industry is going to be here for the long term. And that at the end of that, there's a really, really good chance that uh, things will go the way we need it to, and the market will have settled exactly where it needed to to support a growing biodiesel industry. And let's look at the RFS. Um, I know that you wish EPA would put higher levels for your industry because biodiesel industry shown you can produce yeah absolutely and that's been our, our argument for many 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 years with the EPA is uh, the, I mean we've proven it year in year out we produce higher volumes than what the RFS demands um, so we we know we can do it we know the production capacity is there we still have unused capacity domestically in the United States uh, but it just needs those strong signals that more product is needed and the RFS is the primary driver for those uh, those signals and the other part of it, we talk a lot about these small refinery waivers, exemptions. Um, we talk about it, how it impacts ethanol, but you and I have made the point before, it, it probably hurts the biodiesel industry even more. Oh, it does. Uh, you know, our, our math has shown that the, the small refinery exemptions uh, over the last 18 months have been over 300 million gallons of biodiesel lost. And the worst part about that is the signals the RFS sends about we want this many gallons, then our industry goes to work to produce those gallons only halfway through the year or part of the way through the year to have some of those gallons pulled back. So it's just another uh, kind of an unfair game that we're forced to play. How do you feel? I mean, 
in what you're hearing from Andrew Wheeler, I mean, he has not really indicated they're going to stop granting those waivers. Do you feel any better about how they'll do it moving forward? Well, absolutely feel better about it. Uh, the, the EPA has already introduced more transparency to the pro- process, not certainly not as much as we'd like to see, but uh, we can be at least more aware of what's possibly coming than what we were before. We're literally, we were finding out about it through press leaks, you know, months after the, the waivers had been granted. So that transparency is going to be important. Uh, we published with his office, which we really didn't have with his predecessor. So all of those things together make me feel somewhat better, but it's still going to be something we have to work on every day. It seems to me, I, I think about this a lot, that maybe have we forgotten, has our government forgotten the purpose of the RFS was to establish, develop, and promote a domestic fuel industry in, in renewable fuels? And it seems like they're constantly wanting to chip away at the what it was there to do. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's been uh, 12 years ago almost now that the RFS originally went into place, and so there's probably a lot of players and actors who are involved in that and passionate about that are, are not there to sort of back it and support it. Um, but you, it's also an example of where legislation and uh, the agencies come together, right? So the legislation established certain parameters and then handed the ball off to the EPA to take it from there. So obviously the EPA is, is, uh, can be politically influenced, and so that's some of the challenges that, uh, that we have on an annual basis. I often say Washington's not used to legislation working so well. well I mean, RFS really does work when it's allowed to. I, I, I believe the RFS, and specifically the biomass-based diesel element of that, is, is a shining star is in the form of energy legislation that's really moved the needle uh, in a lot of ways for rural economies, for jobs, and for the environment. We're talking with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. One of the things that's been mentioned often here at your conference is that with all the uh, seemingly uh, focus with the new house, probably the new members coming in, there seems to be more focus on the environment, greenhouse gases, sustainability, climate change, those things. Uh, and a lot of, I know a lot of times that has brought some negative connotations to agriculture, like what's it going to mean in regulations and forced changes and things like that. Uh, but there's there are also some opportunities here, and I would think biodiesel would have a great opportunity to fit into this moving forward, depending on how the uh, discussion and and how it is uh, you know handled. But it, it would seem to fit very well for biodiesel. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, we are an ex- we are a, a low carbon fuel that everybody wants. Um, so as you see these policies, and California is a classic example, you know, they've gone really aggressive on trying to remove carbon from their transportation fuels. Biodiesel's been doing that for 25 years. So we're an answer, we're a solution, and we're here now. So as other, uh, as that, uh, I guess as that conversation grows and, and expands around low-carbon fuels, it, it is a good thing for biodiesel. Of course, the other, I, I mentioned, how does the discussion go? Because there will be some that will want to maybe take a, like, let's go all electric or something like that. So uh, I would think being part of that discussion and make sure your voice is heard will be very critical. Yeah, and, you know, we that's why it's important for us to have those relationships, not just in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, of course, nationally that's important, uh, but we have those same kinds of relationships in, in the states around the country, uh, California, again, being a very prominent one. We, we have to be engaged with the California Air Resources Board uh, on a very regular basis here in California to make sure that their goals that their state has for reducing the carbon, uh, they understand our role 
role that we can play in getting them to meet the goals that they themselves have set. You've you've got quite a market here, don't you, in California? It's it's huge. Where it's about a 600 million gallon market right now for biomass based diesel, uh, and uh, all projections show that within the next five years it should reach one billion gallons just in the state of California. It's it's got to be hard for Outlook, and when I I want to ask you, where do you see this industry going in the next year, five years, or whatever? There's so many variables, whether it's with the RFS, you know, EPA, or whatever. But what is the potential here? You think? Well, I think you know the limit for us is going to be uh, where where uh, feedstock supply takes us, and uh, you know we're up around three billion gallons a year now, and there's a, there's enough feedstock kind of floating around, so to speak, uh, that we can continue to grow. But at some point, if we're going to get to 5 and 10 billion gallons, which we absolutely want to do, um, we're going to need to free up some feedstocks or find some additional feedstocks from what we you know see available today. So do you think then that technology, we hear about algae and things like that, is that, it, will it go more in that direction? Well, it could, you know, and again, we're back to these signals. So algae is, uh, is in research and development and has been for a long time. Uh, so what makes research and development accelerate, it's these strong signals that what you're coming out of that research with is going to be demanded. Well, right now that signal is not that strong, right? The, the RFS is growing very slowly. Um, but I do think these emerging markets like California and, and the East Coast where they're becoming much more carbon sensitive and have goals, very aggressive goals that they've set, um, are, are going to start sending those signals. So uh, I think it's going to be one of the all of the above. So there's that potential out there, but I would think still the heart of it's still going to be for soybeans absolutely right? you know it's well over soybeans represent well over 50 percent uh, of the soy of the biodiesel that's produced today uh, and for us to grow beyond where we're at soybeans going to have to carry us to that what do you see as far as developing an export market do you, do you see that as a potential down the line well it is possible um, you know at this point you know our, our focus is on growing domestic right. demand um, it fits the best with the RFS, the, with the goals and objectives of the RFS. It matches itself up to me better with the tax credit uh, being a, you know, a domestic pr uh, program. And so that's really where we put our focus. But there's nothing right now today that would keep us from our, our producers from exporting fuel if that was uh, what, what, what was best. The reason I ask, I, I, because I, we've seen some great uh, growth in ethanol exports and there seems to be a demand in some of these big cities around the world some of these countries are looking at air quality and things so i would think that would also work for biodiesel yeah too. absolutely that you're right um you know ethanol is a little bit of a different situation as far as their penetration rate domestically and so they probably have the excess to to uh to export and, you know in our case everything we produce here pretty much stays here and uh, there are still some imports coming in to fill voids so which, uh, how do you feel about that? Well, it's is it, it needed. Um, it, you know, there's some. It's it's mainly answering logistical issues. You know, access onto the East Coast markets right. is done in a different way. Donnell, good to see you. Uh, congratulations on the great work that you're doing with the National Biodiesel Board, and look forward to uh, even greater accomplishments in the future. Thank, Thank you, Mike. Appreciate right. it. Donnell Rehagen, he's CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, as we broadcast here at the National Biodiesel Conference in San Diego. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. 
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. 
ahead. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back as we wrap up our coverage of this year's National Biodiesel Conference uh, here in San Diego. Joining me now is the chairman of the National Biodiesel Board, Kent Engelbrack with ADM. Kent, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, you and I have, were talking before going on the air about... Um, the significance of, of the biodiesel industry, what it's meant to the crushing industry, uh, how far we've come in, in the last few years, and, and the opportunities are there. Kind of, kind of give us an overview of just what is the value of the industry beyond just a, a, a domestic fuel that does a lot for the environment, things like that. But uh, what we talk about as far as the crushing industry, what it means for farmers. Well. As ADM, we we try to extract every value we can out of the out of whether it's the kernel of corn or the or the soybean, and uh, biodiesel allows us another opportunity to to diversify, and has has been uh, a really great development over the past 20 years um, to allow not only us but but others in the industry to have a home for that oil. That oil was going to become a drag, uh, and biodiesel has stepped in and really given us an opportunity to uh, to do something good for the environment and for the economy. I've mentioned this a few times that we look back to what really got this industry going was the need for a market for for soybean oil right absolutely and and if that that value of the that piece of the soybean does not provide value um, then it, uh, it it adds more weight to the to the value of the protein and so this really helps it has been it has been amazing to watch the technology that has come into the industry how far we've progressed in a relatively short period of time Absolutely. Having, having the support of the different, whether it's a government program from the federal level or the state level or, or just the fact that the market is supporting it uh, allows us to, to research in whether it's the operations side of things or the technological side of things on the, uh, from the, the what we can do. Um, that, that's what we need is, the, is the just time and, and uh, certainty. What have been the logistic challenges as far as availability, distribution, uh, and how far has that come, and what are you working on there? Well, there's... <laughs> When I first got into this business, I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago, 2006. Uh, we didn't know where we were going to go with our product. Um, you know, most of it was handled by truck. Um, and, and now we've developed, whether it's a, a rail lane or a, a terminal on the, on the coast, um, all of those things over time, uh, you've found where the product wants to go. You've found, whether it's a truck stop uh, or heating oil market, they've developed um, along with us. And so right now it's, it's filling in the blanks and allowing ourselves different opportunities to different options uh, and the market will find its own really. You know you think back and 
we're kind of at a point now where you kind of take some things for granted. But if you stop and look back, when you're you're starting a new industry, basically, which the biodiesel industry was, it took a lot of things moving, kind of working together. Sometimes one would get a little ahead of the others, but you know whether it was the uh, the engine manufacturers or the or the distributor distributors or or even the actual uh, production process. Uh, Getting those synced up so they could move forward has been very, at times, challenging, but certainly a big part of the success of the industry. And you sound like an advertisement for the National <laughs> Biodiesel Board, because those are things that, as ADM or AGP or, or whoever, we couldn't do those on our own. So the Trade Association really uh, incorporates all of those and puts it on a path to, to success because they understand step one, step two, step three, and, and that's where how we got where we are today. What are the biggest challenges to take that next step, though, for biodiesel? Wow. Um, I have to, it's, it's the same old story. The uncertainty, um, the lack of stability for where the value is going to come. Um, we, can, we can do a lot of things uh, if we know where the economics are going to lie. We can, we can invest uh, for the future, whether it's, like I say, it's a terminal or rail siding um, or, or whatever. The farmers are also investing on based on this too. So there's a lot of investment up and down the chain um, that right now with the uncertainty on the agriculture, let's, let's see where we can go. And I hear people question, why is the RFS so important and things like that? Well, that sends that signal of certainty, right, that creates then the confidence up and down that chain to make the investments. Absolutely. Whenever, whenever you see uncertainty out there, we have to build all of our models and all of our formulas of where we're going to be next year and where what our S and D is going to look like. Uh, that uncertainty figure really takes away from from the value that we can um, add into it and the value that we can uh, calculate for the future and, and how aggressive we want to be. Obviously, ADM, soybean crusher, but we know that there are other feedstocks that can be used for biodiesel. Do you see those growing, and is there room in this market uh, for those others? Absolutely. The fats and oils <laughs> businesses, uh, we're all competing against each other. Um, and so, I mean, you've seen the development on the animal agriculture side of things for for uh, the, the fats and oils and how that's helped. And, and you know, what that adds to, whether it's poultry or beef or pork, um, also provides value for the protein that we're producing. Whenever we are able to have a market for more cattle, I mean, it's a it's a relationship that uh, everybody grows whenever there's the certainty of, of the biodiesel industry. So we're we're ready, excited about the future. A lot of uh, a lot of benefits, a lot of things. That, you know, when we talk about whether it's ethanol or biodiesel, when we talk about the importance to rural America, the e- the economy, not just for rural America, but for the for the country. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean. You think of it whenever whenever we build a plant or keep a plant running or build a terminal there's it's not just that biodiesel plant the guy that, that checks into work there every day that's that's getting a paycheck because of that it's i've always said it's the guy that's uh, that, that sells tires on the corner the guy that's got the bakery the guy that's got the um the 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 business there in town or anywhere up and down the chain that is benefiting from this. So I've always said biodiesel is a multiplier. You know, you can see us, but there are so many jobs ahead of us and behind us um, that are benefiting every time we are we are producing a gallon. Three billion gallon industry now, sixty thousand jobs uh, with the industry. So it already already has an impact with with the potential for more. You know, a lot of times people compare ethanol and biodiesel, and of course ethanol is a little different. It's a fuel where 
everybody pulls in and fills up their gas tank. It, not everybody's going to be using uh, a biodiesel, but yet they're probably impacted in some way by biodiesel. You, you took it there before I could. <laughs> I mean, um, every good and service that you get delivered to your door or delivered to the uh, to the store that you're you're visiting is is impacted by diesel, and that's how things move. Whether it's on on ships or or railroad or, or trucks, uh, the heavy lifting is done by the diesel, um, and the biodiesel you know is allowing us to. to uh, add a clean alternative to that, a more efficient uh, product. So it's it's something that um, everybody needs to understand the backstory for for how it's benefiting them. Well, Kent, thanks a lot, and uh, look forward to seeing this uh, industry grow even more in the future. Thank you. Thank you. That's Ken Engelbrecht with ADM. He is the chair of the National Biodiesel Board as we wrap up our coverage of the National Biodiesel Conference here in San Diego. Again, coming up tomorrow, we'll talk with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey about FSA offices reopening. So I hope you'll join us right here on Adams on Agriculture. <music> 